invite you to remain standing and whatever uh, tool you're using for this word of God, if you have your Bibles, if you'd open that up to Daniel chapter 9, if you have your phones instead, we invite you to flip to Daniel chapter 9 and let's honor the word of God. Let's, let's respect it by remaining standing even as we read it. While you're turning there, I'll just remind you again, I'm going to read the beginning and the end and I'll summarize in the message, the middle, but, but hear the very word of God, would you, from Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, this is 538 B.C., I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now jump with me all the way down to verse 16, if you would. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. Does that sound familiar? Become a byword among all those who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, Lord, mark that in your minds, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. No, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. Would you repeat that after me? O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Would you say that? Delay not for your own sake. And I'll finish. Oh my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. The very word of God. Please be seated. As our worship team makes their way to your seat, I just invite you to keep the word of God open there in Daniel chapter 9. And... Uh, I want to. I want to say you might have noted that we didn't read. We didn't read the middle portion of even that passage, but we didn't read the end of Daniel either. 
There is a significant passage coming. And I promise you that we will address it next week together. It's one of the most significant in all of the Old Testament. But um, I want to suggest to you that, that most of us jump over the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 and jump right to the prophecy about the 70 weeks, right? And we miss what is more important, right? What is more important for your understanding of either the details of your future or even your present daily walk is to understand the matter of prayer. To understand the matter of prayer. If you're following along with us um, here in the sanctuary, in your bulletin were some notes that would help you not have to write so much, but but you are welcome to or you're welcome just to, to hear and and think deeply about these things with us. Let me say that again. What is more important to your understanding of either the details of your own future or even your present daily walk is to understand the matter of prayer, of communication, of communion with God. Why? Why do I say something so strong like this? Well, in the context of today's passage of prophecy, right, that came to Daniel, we, we discovered that this 70 weeks was essentially an answer to prayer. The, the revelation of the future, and I'm, I'm going to take it all the way to the very day of the Lord, the revelation of our future was in response to Daniel's prayer. Well, let me put it another way, and I'm being bold and brazen because I've got several side doors I can run out before you attack me. You will not be able to understand the prophecies of Daniel unless you understand the prayer of Daniel. Did you catch that? You will not be able to understand the prophecies, which we so want to understand, right, unless you understand the prayers. Have I got your attention? Pray again with me, would you? Oh God, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, the very end of our last chapter, and that was, again, and remains to this day, the most difficult passage I've ever had to preach on, Daniel Chapter 8, um, we have Revelation coming, so I know I'll have more challenging ones in the future even. But I told you last week that I found a lot of comfort by recognizing that Daniel, who was there at the time, Daniel, whom, to whom uh, Gabriel appeared and explained what was going on, was still, as he says in 827, overcome. And he lay sick for some days. Then, then, like many of you in the midst of the pandemic, he went around like a zombie, right? He did the king's business. But he was appalled at the vision that he had been given and that Gabriel had interpreted for him. And he, and he did not understand it, right? So as we come now to the prayer of Daniel in, in chapter 9, we, we recognize that Daniel is in great distress, right? And, and yes, it's, a, it's a, a, um, a distress of his soul, right? Uh, he 
recognizes that something very significant is happening and he doesn't completely understand it. His mind and his emotions, the two things that contribute to his will, right? His mind and his motion are at war within him, right? And, and he's in great distress and he's exhausted and physically sick. When your soul is sick, then your body plays it out, Right? Disease of your soul plays out in disease of your body, but also think the other direction. Disease of your soul plays out in your your spiritual life, your communion with God. And so this is a physical, emotional, and spiritual distress that Daniel's going through, right? Why? Why is it so difficult? Because he understood a couple of truths, right? He knew that the people of God were under current judgment. The things that were happening to them were under the sovereign control of God and Daniel understood in particular it was the judgment of God, not against the world that does not know God, but against the people of God who did know God and did not honor him as such. And I think you can grasp this because you understand that they've been moved 800 miles from their city, from their homeland, from their temple. Everything has been destroyed. The land is lying desolate. Daniel pretty pretty easily could understand that they were experiencing judgment. That's why they were in captivity, right? That's why he was in Babylon. He knew Jerusalem was destroyed. He knew the temple was destroyed and that the sanctuary of God was desolate. He knew all that. And he knew that this was judgment for sin. But here's, here's the hard part. He also knew that more judgment was coming. More judgment was coming. He could see in the visions that he'd been given, and he will be able to see in the visions that remain, that the future of the people of God is going to include more judgment, right? So this is, and this this would make anyone ill, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We are in under judgment, and, and that's a word for us. We won't have a chance to come back to this later. We, beloved are experiencing the judgment of God, right? And there is more judgment to come. Do you remember Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He knew he would bear our judgment, right? And he, and he cried out, oh God, if there be any way, let this cup pass from my lips. But as we have emphasized over and over again, God is gracious, Amen. Graciousness is dependent on something else, that God is also merciful. Amen? But mercy is based on something as well. You cannot have mercy without having the nature of God revealed in his judgment, right? In his judgment. So Daniel knew that they were under the judgment of God. He knew that more judgment was coming. But praise God, he also knew that there was a coming kingdom. Do you remember the statue Right? Gold, head of gold, chest of silver, torso of bronze, legs of iron, and then this stone, this unhewed stone that rolled down from a mountain, uncut by human hands, and destroyed the kingdoms of men. What was that stone? We know, don't we? 
Let me put it in very broad terms. It was the kingdom of God. There is, Daniel knows, a coming kingdom, right? And he had a vision for that. And all of this is colliding in his mind. He knew that there would be this future glorious kingdom of God's anointed one. But he could also see. And he was experiencing the pain that would come before that, right? And he had no one to interpret the visions for him. And so he was distressed by not being able to fully understand what they meant. I think he was feeling a little bit of what Peter said the prophets felt when they searched the scriptures for for what person and what time was being referred to, even as they understood the scriptures and, and the future of the people of God. They searched and said, God, help me understand. So as much as was revealed in the visions of Daniel, so much more was not. So much more was not. And he was feeling the distress of not fully understanding that and also knowing that it was not well with Israel, the people of God, and that there was more judgment in the future. He did not understand how it would all work out. So so what did he do? What did he do? I've had so many... It's an awesome privilege to be able to stand with you and and your loved ones when when um, when someone in your family is is taken from you, right? And 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 our minds are searching the heart of God to try and understand, right? We're trying to wrap our brains around this, and we we what do we do when we're together in that situation? We go to God's word and we say, "Speak." Lord, your servant is listening. We need you right now. What did Daniel do? He went to the Word and discovered the will of God. He went to the Word and discovered the will of God. What drove him to do that? Daniel knew something. I don't say it in in our terms and, and very simply what he would understand in much more depth and magnitude. God will do what he says Right? Excuse me, God will do what he does when he says he will do it. God will do what he does when he says he will do it. Let me say it another more familiar way. Can I do that? God is faithful to his promises. I was about to say amen, but you already said amen. (laughs) Amen. No, no. I love it that you interact with me in the scripture, right? God is faithful. He will do what he does when he says he will do it. Now, we're going to get our world's rock next week as as we see how God will do it. But make no mistake, God is faithful. So so what is prayer then, right? This presses us, especially uh, us covenant theologians, us who believe that we're part of a new covenant of God and and. And that, that God is sovereign and continues to be sovereign over every aspect of his creation. It begs the question, why, why should we pray, right? If, if God knows what he's going to do and he actually tells the prophets what he's going to do and he has told us what he's going to do, right, in the future, why pray, right? And, and, and so this is going to be the key point today. And, and this will be hard for some of us because a lot of us are just thinking, I, I just say, God, I need bread, and he gives bread. God, I need this, and he gives that, right? Um, we have a kind of 
overly simplistic understanding of prayer that is just when I need you, oh cosmic provider, I'm going to ask you and, and then be mad if you don't give it to me, right? We're going to go much deeper today, beloved. We're going to try and understand a whole other dimension of prayer that will dramatically transform your life if you can tap into it. How's that for making promises I don't know that I can keep in 20 minutes here, right? So here's the first step. Prayer includes supplication. We'll see that beautifully in just a moment. Daniel included it. But prayer in its essence is a response to the word and will of God. Prayer in its essence is a response. Remember how Daniel went to the word and discovered the will of God? Prayer is a response to that, right? Prayer finds its foundation in the purposes of God. It finds its foundations in what God has said he will do. And again, it raises the question, if he already said he's going to do it, why should we pray, right? Well, we pray in response to God's revealed plan. And in particular, in particular, prayer is how we align our hearts to God's purposes. It kind of begs the question, when we pray, does God change? And together we've studied so many scriptures, right? Remember Abraham? When God revealed that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham bargained with God. And in his mercy, God let Abraham come into alignment with his purposes. God knew that there were not ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and so he was going to cast his judgment. In mercy, he was going to draw out the eight who were righteous. But in mercy, he let, he let Abraham come to that place where his heart was aligned with God's purposes. We, we got to see that when, when, when God asked him to sacrifice his only begotten son, right? Abraham's only begotten son, Isaac. And God had a perfect plan for Isaac's life. But he needed to know whether Abraham could surrender to it. So prayer is how we align our hearts to God's purposes. Now Daniel 9, especially 1 through 19, is a manual on prayer. Right? It's a prayer manual. You want to learn how to pray? Daniel 9 is, is your chapter, right? I'm going to hint at some tools that you have been given in the past and, and, and know where Daniel 9 matches it, where he doesn't. But, but in Daniel 9, we find abject adoration, right? Abject adoration. In Daniel 9, chapter four, or verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession saying, Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He starts with abject adoration of the greatness and glory and the beauty of God. Now, other places we've learned that, that for, for those of us who don't know him, that's kind of hard to do. I'm not just going to parrot some words to someone I don't know. And we, we invited you to think about, about what God has done for you, right? We found out that we enter his courts, Psalm 100, excuse me, his gates with thanksgiving. And then as we begin to be thankful, we, we learn that it's not just what he's done for us, but who he really is. And we enter his courts with praise, right? But in Daniel 9, he's going straight for the Holy of Holies. 
Daniel 9, he's going straight for the presence of God and the glory of God. Abject adoration. And it's interesting that having, having reminded himself of the very nature of God, then the natural response of his soul is confession then. And, and we only read a small portion of it, but five times in Daniel 9, 5 through 15, he says, we have sinned or committed treachery against you, God. Five times in those 10 or 11 verses, he, he, he confesses we've sinned against you, right? But there's a beautiful summary of it right there in 9, 5. Look at these five things he mentions there. We have sinned. In other words, we've fallen short of your glory. We have intentionally done wrong. And that's not strong enough. He says, we have acted wickedly. We have rebelled against you. We have turned aside from your commandments. In other words, from the word and will of God. So so this is a manual on how you can approach a God when you have fallen short of the glory of God. Just a few moments ago, I said, if. There was a big if, wasn't it? If, First John 1, 9, you have confessed your sins, then he is faithful and just. If we cannot own up to our sin, then we can't be set free. But, if we're willing to humble ourselves, to surrender, to trust that what God's word says God's will is and to agree with him where we've fallen short of those things, then we can be set free. And I've had so many experiences right here in the sanctuary a couple moments ago in, in with you privately when, when someone fully owned their brokenness, the five ways, as Daniel describes, that they have mistreated God and received that forgiveness. It's like, like burdens being lifted from our souls. Oh, I, I respect so much your integrity. Many of us know that, that we can't say those things, and we won't say those. I appreciate that if we don't mean them. I appreciate that. God takes no pleasure in fools. He doesn't like us to just go through motions of saying things that we have no intention of, of keeping. But if we will risk agreeing with God, if we will own those things before him, then he forgives us our sins and cleanses us, First John 1, 9, not of some, not of most, of all our unrighteousness. So we can genuinely say, thanks be to God. So we can genuinely say, hallelujah, right? So Daniel's a manual on prayer. It includes adoration. It includes, it includes these five aspects of confession. Don't miss in this part two. Daniel is probably one of the, uh, here I go ranking things. It's wrong of me to do that. From, help me risk following me for a second. If I had to say who are the five most righteous people that the scripture describes, right? Daniel's in there. Daniel is in there, but what does he do? What does he do? He identifies with the sin of his people. And I want to suggest to you that, that, that we have to do the same. We have to uh, confess our own sins. Certainly we're not Daniel, right? But we have to recognize sometimes it's not even things that we have done, but things that we as a church 
the people of God have done. And I would even suggest to you that God is going to ask us to identify with the sins of our nation. Even though you might not have committed those sins, you are part of this nation. And as we identify with the sins of our nation, as we confess the sins of our nation, then we receive forgiveness and and maybe, just maybe, um, God keeps that door open for people to come to know him. So adoration is a critical part of prayer. According to Daniel, confession is a, is a critical part. But note also here the intercession. And, and in our Acts format, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, just as a mnemonic device to be able to remember it, supplication is, is a simpler word for this, this concept of interceding, of standing in the gap for someone, right? Daniel stands in the gap. He says in 9.16, turn your anger and wrath away from your city. He stands in the gap of the sanctuary. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. He stands in the gap on behalf of the people of God. He says, oh God, hear our cries. See our desolations, right? Just as an aside too, if we won't own that we are desolate, then we will never be able to confess it. We have to look at our lives. We have to look at our church. We have to look at our nation and see them as God sees. But I do love, again, in this magnificent passage that Daniel gives us a summary of intercession. In verse 19, he cries out, Oh Lord, hear the part that you repeated earlier with me. Hear God, right? Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. We can't save ourselves. Only God can save us. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. And oh, Lord, oh, Lord, don't delay. My mind is taken right now at the very end, the very last words of the Bible in Revelation 22. And... And John, who's just been overwhelmed by the vision that we'll get to and that, that he has seen, he's, he hears Jesus say, Behold, looky there. I'm coming soon, right? I'm coming soon. And so, John and the church that grew up in that tradition of Revelation says together, Maranatha, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, right? He just said he's coming. And, and yet... They learned what Daniel learns, that out of the revealed word of God comes the essence of our prayer. That's why we search God's scripture. That's why we open his word. Come on up, worship team, if you would. Don't get your hopes up, people. I've still got 20 minutes to go. Oh, Lord, hear, forgive, pay attention, don't delay. Daniel 9 reveals that the ultimate motivation for prayer is The glory of God. Now, let me say that, and if if you don't yet know God, or if you're a new believer, understand that your greatest good comes from the glory of God. Does that make sense? It's not inconsistent to to pray, uh, uh, oh God, I need you to treat me well, and to pray at the very same time, I want you to be glorified, right? Because our greatest good is going to come from his being glorified. In us. And so look at the words of Daniel here. For your sake, oh my God, 
because of your city and your people who are called by your name. It's not about us. Amen? It's about God and his glory. So the ultimate motivation for us in prayer is the glory of God. Why is this important for you and me today, right? Why is this word so important for us? I mentioned earlier it's particularly important before we jump into the prophecies of the 70 weeks coming next week. But the reason that it's important is because we're exactly, we are exactly in the place of Daniel, right? We are under the judgment of God right now, and there is more judgment coming, right? But we have something that Daniel never had. Our Savior has come. We don't have to fear the present judgment. We don't have to fear the coming judgment because Jesus has already gone before. That Jesus has already taken that judgment upon himself. So we know that we're under the judgment of God. We know that there's still more judgment coming, but we also know there's a coming kingdom. And in fact, that coming kingdom is already here. Time has, God has taken the end and intervened in the middle. When Jesus Christ came in the flesh, which we celebrated last Christmas, he brought the kingdom of God to all those who will open their hearts to it, right? And I just invite you, no matter what tomorrow holds, and, and we've learned over these last 12 months that, that, that we are completely at the mercy of God. No matter what tomorrow holds, Jesus Christ has won the victory. You can put your trust in him. You can surrender to him because he has proven his worth. He has lived a life that that none of us could live. And God has honored him. So when we pray, when we pray according to God's word, we usher in the kingdom of God. Right? God has said it's coming. But he uses our very prayers to make it happen. I beg you, partner, join this amazing partnership with God and let's believe what we pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray according to God's word, we'll discover both insight for our futures that will help us pray God's kingdom come. But we'll also discover direction for today. Don't be afraid. You're here 65 times. God has got this. Our Savior has come. Let's get out of the way and not let our own sin block us from hearing doing God's word. Oh God, thank you so much. Thank you for your love for us, revealed in the beauty and majesty of Christ on the cross. God, thank you that you love us more than we ever could imagine. And, And you did not abandon us even in the midst of the judgment, but you came to us. You came for us. 
you recognized, you rescued us, God, and delivered us from judgment. So be lifted up here in this place today. Be lifted up no matter where we are in the world today, in our hearts. And God, we place ourselves, our future, and our present in your hands. We worship you and praise you.